Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Proverbs 14, verse number 34, says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Amen. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Hallelujah. In verse number 13, I've read this passage of scripture recently and talked about it, but there's still some things on my heart that we want to uh, get into today. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. And that's really what I want to talk about today. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. We know that salt is a preservative, uh, especially in in the days in which the Bible was written. They didn't have modern methods of refrigeration and different chemicals and things. And so meat had to be preserved with salt. And that's really the, the... Uh, metaphorically is what he's talking about. We are the preserving element in this earth. If it wasn't for the church in this world, this world long ago would have devolved into total chaos, darkness without God. We are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. It's a sobering thing when we consider the fact that uh, you and I are the only light some people have say, well, Jesus is, is the light. Yes, he's, the book of John says that, that he was the light that came into the world. But he left this world and he left us with his light in him. And now we are the only Jesus unbelievers have any contact with. And so that's, that's an important thing. It's a weighty thing. We are the light of the world and we're not supposed to put our light under a basket. That is, we're not supposed to hide our light. We're not supposed to let natural things. We're not supposed to let the things of this life. We're not supposed to let uh, anything about us that could define us be bigger and more obvious than the light that's in us. That needs to be the most important thing that people see about us is our light, which is the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, let your light shine. That he doesn't say force it. He didn't say make it shine. See, the light that is in us is is God's light. It's just a matter of us getting out of the way. Our natural mind, our natural body, our natural personality. In other words, the things of the flesh. Getting that out of the way so that that light can shine. So that people don't see the wrong thing about us, but they see the right thing. And that's the light 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, let your light shine so that men will see it and glorify God. Now turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. And we're gonna go to chapter two. And we're gonna start in verse number two, but there's just really a couple of verses here that I want to, to focus on. But for the context, we'll start in verse number one. 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse one. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ, actually that's the day of the Lord in the original Greek, not the day of Christ, as though the day of the Lord had come. Let one, no one deceive you by any means, for that day, that is the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may, that is the son of perdition, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now, now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, uh, because, because tradition has such a grip on us uh, historically and the way we read things and the things we've always uh, understood. Sometimes when we read a passage of scripture, I find it necessary to, to, de- excuse me, to deal with a couple of those traditions and to correct them so that it doesn't get in the way of what I'm talking about. And the thing I want to talk about first, and this isn't really my main point of this message, so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but notice in verse three, it says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come. That is the day of the Lord will not come. The day of the Lord incidentally is a time of judgment. That's a, the day of the Lord is an expression that you find all through the Old Testament and it talks about the day of Jacob's trouble, what we would call in the New Testament, the tribulation period. That's what the day of the Lord is. He said that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, even in some modern translations, they have the word apostasy there. I don't know if any of your Bibles out there today have that or not, but it reads that way. That day will not come until the apostasy comes first, the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The reason this is translated this way, it is, it is an accurate transliteration of the Greek word, which is apostasia. So the transliteration into English is apostasy. That is correct. The problem is the word apostasy in the English has taken on a meaning derived from tradition, not necessarily from the Bible. And so today when we read certain words, it can, it can uh, invoke a, a meaning in it to our mind that was not necessarily intended by the scriptures and by the person by, uh, that was writing this by the uh, inspiration of the spirit. 
The, the, the word here that's, like I said, that's translated the falling away in the King James, New King James, apostasy, that word has as one of its meanings a departure. Now, it is used in the Bible and it's used in other writings that were contemporary to the Bible, other Greek writings. It was used of moral defection, someone leaving a place of moral rectitude and, and, and falling away from what was good to something that was not good. It is used that way, but it's not only used that way. In fact, this word, that apostasia, is only used one other time in the New Testament. Hold your place real quick. Go with me real quick to Acts 21, 21. Acts 21, 21. Go real quick. Verse 21 says, but they have been informed about you. This is talking about uh, Paul. That you teach all the Jews who were among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. The word forsake there is this word apostasia. And you'll see that if you translate this as departure, you could, because it could have just as easily said, uh, you, you teach the Gentiles to, to depart from Moses. The, or excuse me, the Jews who were among the Gentiles to depart from Moses. But notice it tells us in the context what the departure was from. It was a departure from Moses. It was an apostasia from Moses. Understand? So it tells us what the nature of the departure was. If you go over to, back over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it doesn't tell us what the departure is from. It only says that day will not come unless the departure takes place. And it's interesting that it doesn't say a departure. It says the departure. If I stood up here in front of you and said, an automobile just drove up, you would wonder, you know, who, what knows? Who, who, who knows what that automobile would be? But I've said, the automobile just drove up. Everybody would know I was talking about a particular automobile. Okay, the, the, the definite article, which is the word the, it's called a definite article, and it specifies a particular thing. The departure, that day will not come until the departure comes first. Again, it doesn't tell us what the departure is from, so it's not necessarily a departure from something good to something's bad, it's just a departure. But here's, what I, here's what I, how I wanna lay out the case. I believe... And I'm not the only one, but we're in a minority. When it's not a small minority, but there's hundreds and thousands of, of, of people and, and a host of Greek scholars that believe this. So I'm not just, you know, something I made up. But generally speaking, the church world in uh, commentaries and so forth, they think that before the coming of the Lord, before the day of the Lord, rather, there's going to be this mass apostasy. And again, our English word apostasy has that uh, meaning. It means a falling away from the faith. But that word has been informed, that, that definition has been informed by the tradition that's not necessarily scriptural. So it doesn't necessarily mean that. So most people believe that before the return of the Lord in the church, there will be this mass falling away from God, that there will be this mass backsliding and turning away from God. 
Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I don't believe that's so, but I'll stick to these verses right here. Notice that what happens when this departure takes place. That day, the day of the Lord, will not come until the departure takes place. So that when the departure takes place, that's when the day of the Lord begins. And, and then it says, and the man of sin is revealed who is the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, that's referring to the Antichrist. He will suddenly come on the scene. He will suddenly come into prominence when this departure takes place. Again, notice again that it doesn't, in the text, it doesn't say what that departure is or what it's from. So though it This word is used over in Acts to be a departure from something good to something bad, a moral departure. There's no indication that's what it is here. It just calls it the departure. Now, if you go down, uh, let's go to the very first part of verse number eight. And then we're going to go back up to verse number seven. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Isn't that the same language that we just read in the latter part of verse number three? The departure will take place and then the man of sin will be revealed. Verse number eight, the, and then the lawlessness, the lawless one rather, will be revealed. What, what causes the lawless one to be revealed? He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So here we have, we're told that someone is taken out of the way and as a result of that person being taken out of the way, the man of sin is revealed. Let's keep on reading. Uh, Let's go back up to verse number six. Now you know what is restraining that he, that is the man of sin, may be revealed in his own time. Again, there is something restraining holding back the man of sin from being revealed. It's described as a departure and it's described in this, in this one passage both as a departure and as he, someone being taken out of the way. Now, what could that departure be and who is it that would be taken out of the way? Well, first of all, We have to remember this in verse number five. He said, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, we were not at the church in Thessalonica. And so we weren't there when Paul was there preaching. But we do have his first epistle to the Thessalonians. And he talked about someone being taken out of the way. Go over to 1 Thessalonians because he he referenced it. He said, you know, when I was with you, I told you about this. Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen to sleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That sounds pretty serious that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I tell you what, I can't read that. I can never read that without getting excited. I don't care what I'm talking about. Woo, glory to God makes me shout. (laughs) The Lord himself 
will descend from heaven with a whipper. No, with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. With the trumpet of God. Woo, glory to God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. There's going to be a departure. Something's going to be taken away at that time. Is that not true? He said that we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in clouds. Now in your Bible, it says in the clouds and it goes on to say to meet the Lord in the air. So we automatically think about those, you know, fluffy little clouds that we see up. We're getting caught up in the clouds. It's very important that that definite article, the is not before the word clouds. In the original Greek, it doesn't say the clouds because it said the clouds. We'd all know it's talking about the clouds. That's not the way it reads. He said, we who are alive and remain shall be called up together in clouds. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people going home. We're going to go up in clouds. Where there's going to be, you ever, you ever heard that expression? Oh yeah, people left in droves. Well, we're going up in clouds. Amen. We're going up in clouds. There's going to be a whole lot of us and there's going to be a whole lot of glory in our departure. Well, praise the Lord. We're going up in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Well, now what was it that Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians when he said, now I've already talked to you about this. Well, we don't know, but there'd be a pretty good indication that might be what he was referring to. Amen. So go back to 2 Thessalonians. Let no one, verse number three, chapter two, verse three, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come until the departure comes first. It is absolutely scriptural and right uh, uh, according to the original language to say the word departure because that's, that's one of the meanings of this word. Now, when I say it's one of the meanings, the other meaning of the word is a, de- is a departure from the faith. But it doesn't say departure from the faith. It just says departure, okay? So it's, it's accurate to say it that way. The day of the Lord will not come until the departure comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Well, we already know that this, is the, this must be the same uh, thing that is referred to as he who hinders or restrains being taken away. Well, who would that be? He said this, Now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed, he being the the Antichrist may be revealed in his own time. Now you know what is restraining. I put this up on the the internet, on social media the other day, and and an old friend of mine posted, he said, I don't believe that. And I put up that that many people believe that this is is, uh, the Holy Spirit operating through the church. And he's an old friend of mine, Ray McGrath. He, put a, he said, I don't believe that. He said, it was the Roman government. Well, I immediately deleted his, his comment because this wasn't, it wasn't the point of this post was not to have a theological discussion with a knucklehead. <laughs> because if it was the Roman government, then why didn't the man of sin be revealed? When the Roman Empire crumbled, why didn't the Antichrist come? He said it's the Roman government, the Roman uh, system that was the one that was holding back the lawlessness. Well, when that happened, what, what, what resulted from that? We don't see what happened here or what Paul said would happen. So anyway, I deleted his comment. I don't have time for that. I didn't answer him either. And now you know. You know. I'm telling you, church, you know what's holding back. You know what is restraining the lawlessness. 
If you're saved, you know. All of you except this one knucklehead I was talking about. You know, now, most of the church world interprets that to be a reference to the Holy Spirit. And, I, and I'm not completely, I, I, I accept that as, as being valid up to a point. But if it was just talking about the Holy Spirit, then when he, when he is, is he taken away from the, from the earth in the sense of his omniscience, you know, because the Holy Spirit is God, he's everywhere. He couldn't leave, he could not leave the earth any more than he could leave anywhere else in the universe or outside the universe. He, he, he's God. The only way the Holy Spirit is really working in the earth is through the church. So I like to say it like this. He who is restraining is the church, the bot. Why is it, why is the, the, the masculine pronoun he? Because we are the body of Christ and he's a man. He who restrains is the church by the Holy Spirit. He could say the Holy Spirit operating through the church. So we have three references here about the man of sin being, re, being restrained until something happens. One place is talking about a departure. The other two places is talking about uh, 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 the, the, the restrainer being taken out of the way. Well, that's the church, the Holy Spirit operating through the church. I said all that and I'm gonna get back to my message now. That's all right. I always have next week. I love it. Second Thessalonians chapter five. It's chapter two, excuse me, wrong book. Chapter two, verse seven. Here's what I want to talk about. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Can you see it? It's always been here. It was here when Paul was writing this. He said the mystery of lawlessness, or he could say it like this, the, the principle, the underlying principle of lawlessness and the mystery of, this, of that supernatural nature. He said the mystery of lawlessness is already at work right now. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. It's the Holy Spirit operating through the church that is restraining lawlessness on this planet. It's the Holy Spirit operating through the church. And the greater the church yields to the Holy Spirit, the more control the Holy Spirit has over the church, the greater the restraining. The less control, the less influence that the Holy Spirit has over the church, then the less restraining is going on. So one of one very important function of the church, the body of Christ, there, there we, our, our mandate is to preach the gospel, to reveal Christ, a lot of things. But one of the functions we have is we are here to restrain lawlessness. Amen. It's our job. Go with me to Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God who at various times in various ways 
I hear you turning, so I'll wait till you get there. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the, apostles, by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. This talks about the fact that in the different ages of God's dealing with man, at different times and in different ways, God spoke to the people in the past, but today God is speaking to the church and to the world through his son. Now, in previous ages, God always had usually a man. God had Noah in his generation. And Noah was a very powerful voice in his day. His voice was not heeded by most people. He was scorned, mocked, ridiculed, and so forth. But he spoke righteousness. God dealt with this world and had a witness in this world through Noah in a very unique and singularly unique way. God spoke to the fathers, to the forefathers. In other words, our our ancestors. God spoke in times past through a man named Abraham. God raised up Abraham. And Abraham was a witness to his generation. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He was a man that, that impacted his time because he was the witness for God, the voice of God. Then God raised up Moses. Whew, what a voice he was. Signs and wonders and amazing things happened through this man. And, 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 and all of these people were reluctant. <laughs> None of them wanted the job. None of them seemed fit for the job. But they were, they were obedient and God calls them to be a voice to their generation. Who Moses. I mean, you, we could just go all day about Moses. God raised up David for such an important time to turn the kingdom and to, and to defeat the enemies of God's people. And he ushered in his kingdom uh, to, to which it was prophesied, your, your kingdom will never have an end. There will never fail to be a man sit upon the throne of David. He affected his generation in a powerful way. But nobody has ever affected the world like this last man, Jesus. When he came on the scene, he was not just a witness for God, he was God. <laughs> oh, glory to God. He came on the scene and he turned the whole world upside down. And I mean, our calendar is dated before Christ and after Christ. He is the division in time. Oh, glory to God. As exciting as that is, that's not the finish. That's not the finish. After Christ was raised from the dead, God ushered in a new creation of men. The body of Christ 
the church is the witness to this world. In fact, the church is the reason for all of the other people who ever came. The church is the reason for Noah. The church is the reason for for Abraham. The church is the reason for Moses. The church is the reason for all of the prophets of the Old Testament. The church is the reason for Jesus. He came in to raise up the church. Oh, glory. Go with me to uh, Ephesians. The church is so important that God had to hide it. God had to bring revelation that we now look back to and it's all pointing to Christ. Everywhere you turn in the Old Testament, you see Christ. They didn't see him. And more important than that, he hid the church. It was this big secret. How There's nobody alive that could keep a secret like that. Nobody's ever lived that can keep that kind of a secret. They're going to tell somebody. You know, if you tell somebody a secret, if you say, now don't tell anybody this, most of your friends will say, I won't tell anybody, but they'll go tell somebody else and they'll say, now, he told me not to tell anybody, so make sure you don't tell anybody. (laughs) Come on now, you're looking too innocent. (laughs) I'm not supposed to tell anybody, but I'm going to let, because we can't stand it. We're, we, 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 we are empowered with this wonderful secret or bad secret. We just got to get it out. God kept the church a secret. Nobody in the Old Testament knew anything about it. The 12 apostles, Jesus didn't even tell them about it. He made one reference to the church and they looked at each other and said, what is that? He made other references, but they didn't know what he was talking about. If you found Ephesians 3, did I tell you chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation, or you could say the, the stewardship of the grace of God which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Remember in in Hebrews, we talked about how God in the past in different times and different uh, ways spoke. He's talking about these different ages here. In other ages, it was not made known to the sons of men. It has now been, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. See, there wasn't even any revelation about the body. The body of Christ wasn't even revealed. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Incidentally, this is the same Greek word that's translated joint heirs in Romans chapter 8, that the Gentiles should be joint heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace should be given 
this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden of God, hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but over in 1 Peter, talking about the gospel, Peter talks about that the, the men of old spoke things and, and, and they, they weren't clear about what they prophesied, but they prophesied about things concerning us. And at the end of that passage, he said, which things the angels desire to look into. Remember that passage? That word desire, it, it, it means intense. It's, it's passionate desire. And it's very interesting. The word look into is the same word that was translated in Luke and in John's gospel when Peter and John and Mary went to the tomb. And, and it says that they stooped down to look in. This Greek word literally means to bend at the waist to look into something by, by stooping or by bending at the waist or looking low. And metaphorically, it means to, to search out with great interest, to, to look into something with, with, with uh, uh, a curiosity that is way beyond the ordinary, to, to, to peer into and to, and to wonder about and to, and to take notice of. It says the angels have that kind of curiosity about the church. You see, the angels were present before the universe was established. And when God spoke the universe into existence and spoke the earth into existence, the book of Job says that the angels of God shouted for joy. They were so struck at the majesty. See, they, they'd never seen a physical creation before. Everything was spirit. And God created in, in a vacuum of, 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 well, I don't even know what time and space, we don't even know what it was, but God spoke a natural physical universe into existence that is incomprehensible to us, even how big it is. And it says the, the angels were so struck by this, in amazement, they jumped and shouted for joy at this amazing creator of theirs. It took one word from God to create the world. but it took the death, burial, and resurrection of God to create the church. The angels had no conception. They had no way to conceive of the love of God, the grace of God, the humility of God. That how They looked back probably horrified. How in the world would God, the, the, the Bible says the worlds were created by him, by Jesus. And, and, and they must have been aghast when, when 
He descended into humanity and they saw this creation that God had created and how marvelous it was fall into depravity. Sin, rebel, open rebellion. I'm sure they were just jumping at them. Just send me down there, God. I'll take care of that old mess of my. I'll go down in one day and we'll clean up that continent completely. <laughs> Instead, they see mercies after mercies after mercies that they had they had never experienced. They weren't the the, the objects of. They didn't. They've never seen it before. And then they see God become one of those creatures. Oh my word. They had no way to conceive of God's love until they saw it displayed when Jesus became flesh. Conceived in the Virgin Mary, born in that lowly stable, then horror of horrors, they saw him go to the cross, be tortured, never open his mouth, never answer a word, gave his cheeks to the smiters and his back to those with whips. And they had to stand by. He could have, he said I could call, but he never did. The angels Speechless, no doubt. And they saw him take the sin, become, become the scapegoat for this miserable, wretched world. But it wasn't long they saw him. <laughs> oh, glory to God, quickened in spirit, made alive in spirit, raised up in glory. And that's not all of it. Then they saw what had never been revealed was that he would take of Christ and make a new creation and bring ordinary fallen sinful man into the very family of God. They're not family like we are. Begotten of God. Join heirs with the one who created the whole universe. The church is such a mystery and the angels still haven't figured it out. But this verse we were just reading. Verse number nine, three, nine. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been created, hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent, verse, nine, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, most commentators, and I agree up to this point, that this is talking about the good principalities and powers, the angelic hosts. I don't doubt that at all. Because they, they, they've been looking into this. And he said that God's going to manifest his wisdom to them through the church. God's going God's to do what? He's going to use you. 
to be a professor in Angel University? (laughs) To teach angels? To reveal his grace to angels? Yes. Yes. It's the role of the church. It's to be the the laboratory, the, 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 the demonstration of God's fullness so that angels can finally understand the love of God. Think about that. <laughs> like I said, God in his creative might spoke the universe into existence with the word, but it took the death burial and resurrection of Christ for God to bring the church into the earth. And the angels watched and they yet don't understand. Our job is to reveal to them. And, and fortunately, we don't, we're, we're not gonna run out of time because it's gonna go on in the ages to come. It says in the second chapter of, 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 of Ephesians. This is going to go on in the the ages to come. But in the meantime, it's not only the good principalities and powers that need a lesson. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in the heavenly places. Even though they were defeated at at the resurrection of Christ, God let them stay around a little longer to really get their nose rubbed in. What Jesus did on the cross, their total subjugation, their total defeat, then he makes them stay here so that we can arise in power and and as lowly men who were under their control and under their thumb all the days of our lives can rise up as as more mere mortal men but with the authority of the one who defeated him and just rub their nose in it glory to god woo praise god <laughs> glory to god This message got a lot bigger than it was when I was studying it last night. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) What I wanted to talk about. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? That one of our assignments is to hold back lawlessness. And that's what we're doing. I'll just close it at that. It's too late to go on any further. (laughs) Praise God. Oh, glory, you preachers know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Get up here and more, more happens than you even knew. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> glory to God. Let's just lift our hands and thank him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, 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 Father. Glory to God, 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 glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I think I must say this because the Lord put this on my heart. Our job is withholding lawlessness 
And obviously, we're up to the task. Obviously, because he's given us the assignment. And we are in union with Christ. (laughs) And so, that is our job. So, a lot of prayer, supplication, and intercession has been taking place. uh, With this in mind, in the last few weeks. What the Lord wanted me to to share with you, and, 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 and I wish there was more time to develop this, but you just have to let the Spirit of God speak to you. All of our praying will be in vain if our desire is not that the world sees the light that's in us. This isn't just about politics and the sorry state of our nation that those are secondary issues that we have to deal with because again, our job is to hold back lawlessness. But none of that matters if we don't, go, and I'm talking about we, I'm talking about the church, not just talking about this congregation. If the church does not go forward in absolute consecration to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, And what I mean by that is your ordinary level of of living for Christ isn't going to cut it. Your ordinary going through life, you go to church on Sunday, Sunday, and if you're really a real dedicated Christian, you come back on Monday and Wednesday. But the rest of the week, we're just mindful of natural things, just going about our lives, you know, and we're just preoccupied with the world, this in the world and that in the world, the other thing in the world, and they're the biggest things in our lives. That's, that's, that's not going to be sufficient. That's not going to be sufficient. All of what we're dealing with now will be for no good if we don't have a heart of consecration to say we're going to come in behind this mess and we're going to preach Christ to this generation. We're going to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ like we never have been before. That we're going to let our light shine. It's going to be more important than that our car, than our cars shining, our houses shining, our teeth shining, or anything else shining. It's going to be about letting Christ shine out of us because that's why we're here. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, oh, glory to God. For the sake of time, I won't do this, but let's just pretend I'm doing it. Just, just pretend I'm calling everybody down to the front. <laughs> we'll just stay in our, in our chairs. I want us all to make a consecration today. That in the supplication and intercession and spiritual warfare that we've been involved in, that we're going to come out of this with a commitment to Christ greater than anything we've had before. Can you... Can you can you, can you accept or do you believe you could, you could take a step further? <laughs> you could be more consecrated. The things of God and the, the eternal realities of heaven and hell and, and, and our uh, reaching people has, has maybe not been what it should have been. I think we could all agree on one level or another. I want us to make a consecration today that we are not going to lose our time of opportunity here. We're going to take advantage on all levels, both for the sake of our nation as a, as a people, 
Remember our scripture? Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. When it says any people, that's talking about collectively, not just individuals, people groups. So he's talking about nations. And he said sin is a reproach to any people, any nation. Well, by the same token, righteousness will exalt any nation. When I was younger in the Lord, I, used, I had this, I don't know where I got it, but I had this idea that the only nation, as, you know, as far as the nations and the world of men, the only nation God dealt with was Israel. And the church was the church living you know, in a lot of different nations in the world. And, and he really wasn't interested in nations per se. The United States was just a nation. You know, Australia is a nation. Germany is just different nations. But God's interested in the church. There, there, there's, a, there's a truth there. But God's also interested in nations because righteousness exalts any nation. Righteousness ex- is it's righteousness that exalted the United States. How did we become what we are? Because of righteousness. Not necessary that everyone was righteous, but the church had such a dramatic effect. In, in the early 18th century, the colonists were here and, and religion in America is what they called religion. Spirituality in America was just terrible. Churches were empty and there was war after war and people were tired and they'd come here for religious freedom but they were out of fellowship and didn't go to church and it was a big mess. God stirred up some preachers in New England. They began to pray for revival. And in in 1733, the great awakening hit the United States of America and it absolutely... It absolutely defined the creation of our government. It was the righteousness of the church. When the church was on fire, it affected the founding of a new nation. Righteousness exalted our nation. It can do it again. It can do it again. But it's not going to happen until the church catches fire again. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's the challenge to us right now. As we're praying by the direction of the Spirit about the things that are going on right now, we've, we've, we've been given an assignment to pray, make supplication, intercession, in faith, believing God for the miraculous. I believe the miraculous is, is, is absolutely happening. I believe things are about to be shaken up turned around but bigger than that is our impact to the world around us it's bigger than the election oh glory to God may we be up to it may we, may we be consecrated enough just bow your head just say father I present myself to you I humble myself. I make myself available. I will seek you, your will for my life and for my Christian testimony to really and truly be a light to those around me. To all men, 
can see the light of the gospel. See the good in me that doesn't come from me but from Christ. And they'll glorify God. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Mm. Oh, Marahasos Sotodohos, Sopahosos, Sokobolo Adala, O Nomohosh, Bahash, Bahash, Kepa Hekia Shigafia Gobadanensius, Stora Aladeus, Stephrethiatris, Tatsa. Friends in Zetorekias to Kafras. Behold, I open a door before you. A door no man can shut. It's a door of opportunity. It's a door of urgency. And you can walk through that door and yield to my grace, to my power to my spirit, to my wisdom. And you can see the glory of God again. The grace of God again poured out in the United States. No man can shut that door. But you have to be willing to walk through it. You have to go through it by consecration and dedication. So gird yourself up. Be strong. Give heed to the word of the Lord. Don't let it slip. And see the glory of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Oh, glory. Thank you, 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 Father. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.